This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, this week's Pasha's Koirach. Very easy to give a share on Pasha's Koirach. Why? Because Koirach, Pasha's Koirach, talks about Machlokas. Not that Chas Vashem, anybody in this room was involved in any Machlokas, but you know the story with the, uh, the Jewish guy who's on the island by himself. And he builds two, he builds a hut and two shuls, and they ask him, I understand the hut, and I understand one shul, but what's the other shul? And he says, well, that, I built the other shul so I could say that one I don't go to. So, so, I'm only, I only have the, I only have Rishus to make that joke because I heard Rav Shimshon Pink has made that joke. So, if he could say it, I guess I could say it. Um, so, so the, the reason that, that sometimes we find Nebuch by Yidin, by Jews, that, um, that Jews Machlokas, is because we are thinking smart people, and, um, part of learning Torah is thinking. And, and when you put your thoughts in front of the other person's, you're like, I'm right, but I'll listen to what you have to say anyway. But I'm right, and no matter what you say, I'm right, right? So that's how the Machlekes begins. So, therefore, the Pasha, Pasha's Korach, starts with the word, Vayikach Korach. Vayikach. He took. What did he take? He took himself. Right? He took himself out of the cloud and he said, I'm me, I have something to say. He wasn't part of everybody else. Also, people who take, takers, people who are takers, right, um, get into a lot more machlaikas than people who are givers. And I think after tonight's share, you'll understand why. So, let us, let us start, before I get into Beratius, I'm not using my mic. Should be using my mic. For all those in the back, is that necessary? Can you hear me in the back without the mic? Okay, then we won't use the mic. Bye, Mike. Okay. So, I want to learn, before I get to the guts of it, I want to learn, I'm Loez, on this week's parasha, so that you get a little bit of an understanding. Um, what drove Korach? Now, now, most people think Korach was a bad guy. Right, a Baalashin horror, bad guy. Korach was a big tzaddik. And the Gemara says he was a very big tzaddik. They used to call him the Tata Korach. Korach was a very big, uh, the Zayda Korach. Korach was a very big tzaddik. How does a big tzaddik fall so low that he goes ahead and he goes up against Moshe Rabbeinu and the Torah and everything Hashem stands for? How does a person fall from such a high level to such a low level. We're going to see. It has a lot to do with spiritual DNA. But I want to start off, and it says very interesting about women in this week's parasha. There are two main women in this week's parasha. One is Korach's wife, who drove him to this machlok, yes? And then there was the wife of Omben Peles. The wife of Omben Peles was a very smart woman. Now, just to give you a little background, so, because you need this for the shear. So, Korach was arguing with Moshe Rabbeinu, and Korach said that Moshe Rabbeinu, everything he did, that he made himself leader, and he made Aaron the Kohen Gadol, he did on his own. It was his own thing. It wasn't from Hashem. And he was going up against him, and, and what he did was he had a very from, very from taina, a very from taina to Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, well, who said you're the leader? Or Aaron's the coin Gadol, I should be the leader of the coin Gadol. No, 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 no. That would have made him look really bad. 
What he said was, Vayikalu al Moshe al Aaron Vayomu Aleihem, Rav Lachem Kikolaeda Kulim Kedoshim. He said, everybody's holy. Equality. He didn't say, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm as holy as you are. No. He had a from Yetzirah. He said, not me. It's not about me. It's for everybody. We're all holy. It's not for me. I'm not, I'm not talking to you about me. I, I, I'm representing everybody. I get this a lot. I get this a lot in class. You know, Rebbe, it's not that I want, you know, I want, you know, extra recess. I'm just a representative. Everyone else wants extra recess. What are you telling me stories? You want extra recess? Say, you want extra recess. What are you blaming on everyone else? Well, Kairach came and he said, everybody's holy. Not just, it's not, for, it's not about me. Everybody is holy. So he went ahead and he gathered, he went around Klai Yisrael and he gathered a lot of people, not just himself. He wasn't going one-on-one with Moshe Rabbeinu. He gathered a lot of people. Not only did he gather a lot of people, but he gathered a lot of holy people. The people he gathered were princes of the assembly. So the, the, they, were, they, were, they were famous people. Well, then Stam Kleisel, he gathered 250 tzaddikim with him against Moshe Rabbeinu. If you examine this, it's extremely hard to understand. You know, we, we have this, this thing in the Torah when we learn all these stories like, me? I would not, I would, who in this room? Who in this, not who in this room? Who are all of Yisrael today that you know that would go up against Moshe Rabbeinu? Nobody. So they were much worse than we were, right? Wrong. They're so much holier than we are, you have no idea. So, so how did Korach get 250, not Stam, not regular people, but Kruei Eida and the CA Eida, the heads, how did he get them to join? Now, besides those 250, he went after Dustin Vaviram. Of course, he didn't have to go after them. Dustin Vaviram were the nemesis of Moshe all the time. They were his enemies, right? So they joined right away. And there was this guy, Own Ben Peles. And Own Ben Peles was also part of the crew. He came from Ruvain. So, the question that everybody asks, and I'm going to show you in spiritual DNA, how this traveled all the way from the beginning, first of era in the world, till here. The question everybody asks is like this. Korach said that he should be the Kohen Gadol. Right? So, what was in it for the 250 people? What was in it for Om Ben Peles? So, Korach now becomes the Kohen Gadol. What's the difference to those 250 people or to Om Ben Peles if Aaron's the Kohen Gadol or if Korach's the Kohen Gadol? It's not like Korach was not real. He was in Russia. So he's going to give his korbanos to regular Jews. Korach was going to be like Aaron Cohen. So what are you joining? What, what are you joining this chevra? What are you joining this group for? You anyway can't be a Kohen. Korach was from Shevet Levi. He could become a Kohen. But Omen Peles was from Shevet Ruvain. The 250 Jews weren't from Shevet Levi. So what was in it for them? And if we can understand what was in it for them, then we can protect ourselves from getting into machlekes that really has nothing to do with us. And so many times we get into arguments 
that really have nothing to do with us, and that no matter which side of the argument's going to win, it has absolutely no effect on us. It's just like, you know, I love that word, because it's an interesting word that's used. I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Why would you play anything called devil's advocate? Right? Who wants to play devil's advocate? But I'm taking the other side, Rabbi, because I want to play devil's advocate. Hey, you want to play with the devil, that's, that's like your problem. But, like, what, what do you, why are you playing? So the answer is, we have a meter inside of us that if you say yes, I say no. If you say no, I say yes. Same question, doesn't make a difference. And that comes from, and we're going to learn about this tonight, that comes from what? Anyone here know where that comes from? Gaiva. Gaiva. Because if you say yes first, and then I say yes, I'm a follower. I'm a follower. You said yes already. Oh, so I agree? That's a loser. I agree with you. So inside you're like, I agree with you, but you said it first, so I lost. I'm like a follower, like a schlepper. She said this, and I said yes, even though I do agree with her. So automatically I gotta play devil's perfect wording. Advocate, I gotta go, I gotta say the other way, even though I know I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But, I didn't agree with you. I, I didn't follow you. I am independent. I am an independent thinker. I, my thought, I agree with what you're thinking. No, but I have to be different than you because if I agree with you, then I'm a loser. I'm a follower. What happened here, and which I'll show you what happened in the beginning of time, what happened here was that these 250 people were following Korach when there was absolutely nothing in it for them. What was in it for them was to prove that Moshe was wrong. It wasn't in it for them to prove that Korach was right. That, didn't, that wasn't going to help him anything. What was in it for them was to prove that Moshe was wrong. Now, I'm going to step out of my box for a minute, and I don't know if this is true. I'm just going to throw out a question, and whoever wants to give me their thoughts, you know, send me an email or a message, whatever it is. Give me your thoughts. I was just thinking about this when I prepared my shear. And I'm thinking that if Korach would have gone against anyone else and it wasn't Moshe or Aaron, I don't think anybody would have followed him. There, there, I, I've never seen it clearly. It's sort of an undercurrent of all the learning that I, I've had about Moshe Rabbeinu. There seems to have been from day one that he became leader an undercurrent of extreme jealousy and always trying to undermine him, prove him wrong. In fact, when they, when they, when, when he died, so the whole eulogy they gave was that he was an Ebed Hashem, but I think it says that they didn't wait, they didn't, they didn't mourn Moshe Rabbeinu as much as they mourned Aaron Cohen. So I think that there was, I can't tell it to you that I saw it inside, but I think that was the, a certain undercurrent jealousy that Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader of Klai Yisrael. And therefore, any time they had a chance to... I don't know where this came out. Any time they had a chance... Oh, it's falling apart. Here we go. We have our technician. He's ready. He's ready for anything that might go wrong. Say hello to everybody. Okay. So... I can give out... Okay, anyway. So, 
any time anyone could jump, and this is what happened over here, and prove that Moshe Rabbeinu was wrong. So from day one, we know they were trying to prove that he was wrong. I think that any person that's a leader, right, that there's a certain jealousy that they have a position that you don't have. So a rabbi in shul, there'll be people who say bad things about the rabbi. Not that they really think there's anything bad about the rabbi, but since he's the rabbi, and I'm not, and why am I not the rabbi? So you have this innate thing, that, and now that is the basis of the big Avera of Lashon Hara. The Avera of Lashon Hara comes from the same place. It comes from a jealousy. It comes from, well, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're saying something nice about her, and they're not saying something nice about me, and therefore I have to kill her, I have to knock her out. What are you knocking her out for? And the answer is because... Because I have a certain, you have a certain jealousy when someone else is above you. And, and Lashon Hara is based on that jealousy. So, what happened here, there were two women who were mamish opposites. And I think it's a job for every girl, every woman in this room. I think you need to know this because it's really the power. Us guys, we're not, okay, we forget things very fast. We, we, most men, most men, we do not hold grudges. Right? We don't. We don't hold grudges. There's a missionary picky of us that aggravates women very much. The missioner says, isha. Don't talk a lot to a woman. We're talking about don't talk a lot to your wife. Don't talk a lot to your wife. Surely don't talk a lot to a strange woman. I don't mean a strange woman. I mean a, a woman that a woman that you don't know, right? So, so the question everybody asks: If you go to Rabbi Wallerstein's class on Shalom Bayis, or Rabbi Max's class on Shalom Bayis, or Rabbi Olofsky's class, or any tape that you're going to listen to on Shalom Bayis, it says Shalom Bayis is based on communication. You gotta talk to your wife. Right? You gotta communicate with your wife. Um, I mean, I hate to bother you, but I need a sitter. If you can get me a sitter, I'm sorry. So, the question is, how could a Mishnah in Pirkei tell you, you shouldn't talk to your wife. Don't talk too much to your wife. Right? How could that be? That's the opposite of everything we learn in therapy, right? You have to talk to your wife. Does this have Pirkei in it? Sure. Sure, make me take my glasses off. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. No, use the one that was brought up. It's fine. Yes, he's so old, he, he has to pull his glasses off. Okay. Now, I want to tell you an interesting, interesting mission, if I could see it. The mission says like this. Who are you, Aimer? Rabbi Akiva said the following. Hashem loves us all because we were created in the form of God. A much bigger love, a much greater love. He shows us because he tells us. So, this is a very important talking about shiduchim, talking about relationships, right? 
this is like the, one of the most important Mishnahs on relationships, especially between a husband and a wife. The Mishnah says here that Hashem loves us, that He created us all in His selim, in His form. He shows us extra love because not only did He create us in His form, but He wrote in the Torah that He created us in His form. Okay. Then the Mishnah goes on. Chaviv in Yisrael, he loves the Jews even more than everyone else. Shenikru banim lamakom, we're considered the children of God. Chibi Yisera, an extra love, noidas lehem, he tells us, Shenikru banim lamakom, shenema banim atem lashem alakechem. He loves us that we're his children. He loves us even more that he tells us that he, that we're his children. Third one. Chaviv in Yisrael, shenikru lehem klichemna. Hashem loves us because He gave us a beautiful keli, a beautiful vessel, the Torah. And He loves us even more because He tells us that He gave us something special. Because there's a passage that says, I gave you something special. So what is this Mishnah telling us? This Mishnah is telling us like this. What a, what a, what a, I spoke about this to Shabbos by Rabbi Landau. What a fantastic Mishnah. This is telling us like this. Hashem loves me. Because I am Hashem's son. Hashem really loves me because he told me that I am his son. In other words, some poor guy comes to me and he says to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, I need money or whatever it is. This is my account. If you ever get a chance, put some money in my account. Then he goes, he's a beggar, right? And he goes, and Shem Shabbos, and he's picking up food from the floor and I see him on 13th Avenue and he's picking up food from the floor. Meanwhile, I was in a great mood that day. I made a lot of money. I took $1,000 and I put it in his account. But I didn't tell him. So, it's very nice. You love this man. You're a great guy, Rabbi Wallerstein. You put $1,000 in the account. Meanwhile, he's collecting scraps. So, if I really love him, I'll tell him, stop. I put $1,000. You can go to the restaurant and eat. Just putting the $1,000 in his account is very nice. But if I don't tell him that I did it, so he's walking around like a beggar. So, so the mission is telling us, creating us in the form of Hashem, that each one of us in this room can do chesed, and we can help people. That's very nice. But if you don't tell me that I'm in the form of Hashem, and you don't tell me that I have the ability to do chesed, so I'm still poor. Telling me that I'm your son, making me your son, the king, adopting this guy as his son. But the guy's walking around as a pauper, and he doesn't send him a message that you're my son. So you like, you love him, it's very nice what you did, but he doesn't know what you did. Relationships. Relationships is communication. It happens all the time that, you know, I, I'm doing a show on bias and there's a couple in front of me and she, and I tell you this all the time and, and guys don't get it. We really don't get it because we're just not used to expressing our feelings. You guys, that's all you do. <laughs> you know, why are girls on the phone till three o'clock in the morning? Because they're expressing their feelings. And they're expressing their friend's feelings. And they're expressing their friend's friend's feelings. And you don't even know what she feels. And they're, right? You, that's what a girl, a girl is, is, is ruach and, 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 and a girl is ruchnius and ruchnius is emotion. What is ruchnius? What is your soul? People always ask me, how do I know I have a soul? Show me my soul. Take an x-ray, show me my soul. No soul. Take an MRI, no soul. Take a sonogram, no soul. Right? So how does a person know you have a soul? How does anyone, maybe it's baloney. Maybe nobody has a soul. Maybe we made that up. I know it's going to ruin all your shidduchim because you're looking for your soulmate. You don't have a soul. Right? You don't have a soul. That whole, that whole book and tape and all that other stuff goes like right out the window. So, 
what happens if you don't, how do you know that you have, how do I know I have a soul? And the answer is, can you show me your feelings on an MRI? Can you show me your feelings on a sonogram? Can you show me your feelings? Is there anything in this world, anything that the human being created, right, that can gauge or get a picture of an emotion? And the answer is no. No, you can fake your emotion. You can walk in and, and, and you can smile and you could really hate that person. Shalom Aleichem. I'd like to kill him. I like to <laughs> talk to this guy. I can't believe I'm talking. Right? But you got that big, fat, little smile. You know, it's business. It's a big, fat smile on your face. A smile doesn't show emotion. It's baloney. They could smile at you and, and, and be putting a dagger, you know? Itu brute. I know a little bit, I remember. Right? He was stabbing Caesar with a big, fat smile. And he put it, right? And he said, you too, right? I can't believe it. But, but Brutus was smiling, you know? That's my whole... Uh, English <laughs> education. That's it. Never met it to Macbeth. I never met it to Hamlet. No, with the witches. It says, it said, Machshefule Sechaya. When the teacher came in and said, I'm going to talk about witches, I'm like, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that says it. You're not allowed to talk about, you're not allowed to deal with witches. So I, I stopped right there. Shakespeare was, Shakespeare was the beginning and the end. But seriously, emotions you can't gauge. You can't, you can't measure. They're not measurable. A person is sad. A person is happy. We don't really know. They could be smiling. They could be crying. They could be crying from happiness. You walk into a room and person says, <laughs> right? And you find out that they just found out good news. We, we, we don't, we, we can't gauge. Why can't you gauge emotion? Because emotion is ruchnius. Emotion is neshama. That is what emotion is. And therefore, since we don't have any spiritual instruments to gauge, therefore we, we can't, we don't, we can't gauge emotion. So a neshama in a person is an emotion. And since a woman Neshama is on a much higher level than a man's. Therefore, they are an emotional being. They're more emotional than they are physical. And the man is much more physical. That's why he needs a 630 mitzvahs. And he needs to fast. He needs to be in shul three times a day. Because that's what the man is. So, we're not that in touch with, with emotions. And, and, and therefore, there's a very big space between man and woman. And it's, it's something that, that some girls, you know, after after getting married, they get a little bit upset that that you know I don't understand it's Shana Rishona and he's not he's not talking to me. My friend in seminary, she used to stay up four hours a night and talk to me, and he's snoring after twenty minutes. He comes home and he's fast asleep. He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't care about me, right? And it's, it's totally not true. He does care about you, but he doesn't know how to communicate that well. So so I'm not making excuses for them. They don't know how to communicate. So we try to teach them, you know, we try to teach them how to communicate, but. One of the biggest times that I get is, what do you mean she doesn't know that I love her? What do you mean? What does that mean? I pay for everything. I, I gave her a credit card, right? I got her a car. She wanted a car. I got, it her, I got her a car. I bought her jewelry. What does this woman want from my life? What does she want from me? She has 12 pairs of shoes, right? She even has two that look exactly alike, right? That's good. Only two that look exactly right. She has everything she wants. Uh, what does she want from me? And she's like, he doesn't understand. He never said he loves me. He's like, this is like such a guy thing. <laughs> Anybody could say that. <laughs> I show that I love you. I pay the credit card bills. We think, right, that, that those words, they don't mean anything. Just that we throw it back at you. Throw it right back in your face. Love you? That's for the movies. That's for actors. 
They don't really love them. I really love you. I, 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 I paid the Bloomingdale bill. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I got your new pocketbook for our anniversary. Come on. Love you, shmove you. What does that mean, right? So this is the Mishnah. And this is what I tell the guys. This is the Mishnah. So, Akash why do you have to tell me? Why do you have to tell me that I'm your son? Why do you have to tell me that you love me, that you, that you, that you gave me uh, a, a Torah? You gave me a Torah. You don't have to tell me you gave me a Torah. Just like this guy, you paid the bills. Kishbaku, you gave me a Torah. Why do you have to tell me you gave me a Torah? And the answer is, if, I, if the Mishnah says, Chiba Yisera, real love, real Chiba, real closeness, is Shahidiyah, when you tell the other person what you feel. It's a Mishnah. It's not a psychology book. It's a Mishnah. The Mishnah says that real love is when you express, when you tell the other person how you feel. When you tell the other person, I care about you, and therefore, I went an extra step. Now, you might say to me, well, being a big shot, it's not being a big shot. Because you see, I what are you telling me you gave me the Torah? You gave me the Torah. It's good enough. No. I want you to know that I gave you the Torah. I want you, so I, so I try to teach the boys that you, you need, you think it's love shmuel where that doesn't mean anything. You have to say it that you mean it. You can't just say it that you don't mean it. You have to say that you mean it. You have to tell the person that I care about you. Well, I buy her flowers for Shabbos. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. Because you're buying flowers for Shabbos. I said, when was the la- I love doing this to guys. I love it. I'm like, you're an amazing husband, but when was the last time you brought home flowers? And I don't want to get any husbands in trouble, but when was the last time you brought home flowers on a Wednesday night? Wednesday night? Is that sneeze to bring home flowers? <laughs> to, to your wife, it's sneeze. To someone else, it's not. But to your wife, it's not sneeze. Like, so, so there's this, this, this picture, there's a picture that, that you just have to get things done and as long as you get things done, you don't have to express your feelings. The mission says very specifically here that the chibi yisera is when you're modia. And, and, and this is not just husband and wife. This is parents and children. And children to their parents. Did you call your mother? Did you tell her that you love You think my mother needs me to call her to tell her that I love her? Of course I love her. She knows I love her. Now you go call the mother and you say, do you know that she loves you? She never calls me. How would I know that she loves me? You have two sides of the spectrum. The kid's saying, my mother knows. I don't have to call her. The mother's saying, she never calls me. How, how would I know that she loves me? That once in a while, she picks it up. She needs, she needs me to send money to Israel or whatever it is. There's one thing I, I scream at seminary girls and at, at boys who go to Yeshiva to Israel. Your parents are paying the money. Your parents are nervous the whole time that you're there. Pick up the phone. Call them. Say, good job, is. I love you. Thank you. I'm, I'm too busy. They got you the cell phone. They're paying for the cell phone. Call your parents every day in the morning when you wake up. Call your parents. Chiba Yisera Shinoidasla. The love is when you tell them. Yes, they know you love them, I hope. But that's not the Chiba Yisera. The Chiba Yisera is when you pick up the phone and you say, Ma, good morning, how are you? I love you. That's all that you don't need more than that. You don't even, and your mother's like, oh, you don't have to say that. Of course, they, when they say you don't have to, that means that they want it. That's a, that's, that's a relationship. And the other way, too, it's not just a child to its parent. The parents are like, my kids don't know I love them. I take them to the Yankee game. I take every morning, I take them Sunday ice skating in the, in the ice skating rink. It's very nice, but the kid thinks that maybe that's a job, you know, 
I got that comment. You know, that's your job, Dad. My job? I didn't know there's a, a job description for being a dad, right? So, so a child, should, a, a, a parent should also tell the child that that I love you and I care about you. Of course, my children, all my children know. No, tell her that you're proud of her. What do you mean she got a hundred on the test? Of course, I'm proud of her. So why didn't you say it? So why didn't you say it? Why don't you have her? And I, and I said this last time. And I, one person heard me and they listened to me. Why don't you have your little girl bake a Duncan Hines chocolate cake, parva cake, on a Friday? Where all these kids that are off the derrick. You know why they're off the derrick? Because they have low self-esteem. You know why they have low self-esteem? Because today, everyone in this room, including myself, we're so educated. And we learn so much Tyra. And we know all the shirim from everybody. So, as a parent, we come to the table Shabbos night, and we're going to show the kids what we know. And, and some of the women in this room, they come to my shir, right? And they, they sit, and they say, they, they, they're very excited, and they tell me, Rabbi Wallstein, I want you to know, since I come to your shir, I sit by the table Friday night, and I, and I say over all your dvartaris, and I'm like, Ave. <laughs> because if you're saying all, all the dvartaris, so the kids are sitting there, a whole week they're in school listening to someone else, Tell them about Torah. So now they come home and they sit and you want to know why they don't want to be there by the Friday night Shabbos table. Oh, mommy's the Mora. Tati's the Rebbe. We're back in school. And don't get off your chair until I finish the Dvar Torah. They're back in school. <laughs> They're back in school. The difference between the classroom and the table is that they get soup with a matzo ball and in class they don't get a soup with a matzo ball. <laughs> Shabbos table, Shabbos table is time for the children, not for the adults. Shabbos table, it's time for the adults to sit down and listen to the Dvar Torah that their little 5-year-old, 9-year-old, 18-year-old, 16-year-old, 15-year-old. What happens is, when it's homework, and there's a Parsha sheet, right? So when your kid's in first, second, and third grade, and there's a Parsha sheet, so you have to sit there and never can listen to the, the whole Parsha sheet. Because the kid's going to get tested, and you have to sign the paper that I heard the whole Parsha sheet. The minute the girl's 12 years old, there's no more Parsha sheet, now you're, you're the Rebbe. And everyone walks in and they have all their dry toys. Rabbi Wallstein said this story and that story. The kid's like, I don't like Rabbi Wallstein. I don't know who he is, but my mother doesn't stop talking. And, and I would like to say something at the Friday night table. And this, this, is the, this is a very, it's a very big mistake. You see, in the other generations, the parents didn't have time to learn that much. So they didn't come home with a Gansah and a Torah and a Gansah Torah. So the kids came home and said a Dvar Torah. And those kids will stay on the derech. There's a, there's a, I didn't want to say it over. But, but it was, it's from a big gadol that we all know. He's not alive anymore. Very big gadol. And he has some children that are not, that are very modern. And, and, and one of his talmidim went over to him and said, I don't understand. You're the gadol hadar. And, and how could you have children that are modern? Where, how they, where they go off? They asked him. He says, because I was busy saying tire at the table instead of singing his with them. Was his answer. Big, big person. Everyone here know, knew. Famous, who wrote many, many svarim. That's what he answered. You hear the answer? What he said? His answer was, "Why are my children off the derech? Because I was busy saying Torah, and I should have been singing zmiras with them." Shabbos tables for the children. You don't need to prove to everyone how much you know how to learn. Shabbos tables for the children to say Torah. Rabbi Lamb, who who speaks here, his Friday night table is amazing. Every child that sits at the table says something they accomplished that week. That's the Shabbos table. Each kid sits around and says, 
this is what I feel I accomplished, and him and his wife and everybody, what they accomplished. So what happens if the kid comes to Friday afternoon and it's 5 o'clock and he didn't accomplish anything, right? He's like, uh-oh, I'm going to sit at the table tonight, and everyone's getting up. Uh-oh, so he's just going to do something, really accomplish something between 5 and 7. He's going to have to accomplish something. He says it's, ama- it's amazing. It's a whole different Friday night. Friday night's not made. Shabbos afternoon not made for us to give shiurim to our kids. It's a time for our kids to give us shiurim. Make a play. They should make a play. They should say Dvar They should say a joke. They should sing a song. That's what the Shabbos table is all about. And we're so busy giving them and giving them and giving them. It's not. It's not. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So communications is very important. And that's why this Mishnah, right, is very hard to understand. If you tell me Chibi Yisera is a lot of, showing a lot of love is telling the other person Right? Telling them what you think of them. So how could another missionary picker of us tell you that Al-Tabasichem Isha, right? Be'ishtoi. You shouldn't talk to your wife. They're conflicting. They're contradictions. So the way that the missionary is explained is very interesting because it comes from this week's parasha. Don't talk a lot to your wife about what's going on with you in shul. And in the street and in business. Why? And this is so true. Guy comes home, he's so aggravated. He just had a fight with a guy in shul. The guy embarrassed him. The guy made him feel like mud. He comes home. Now, it's, it's something that I have fallen into many times myself. Sometimes you, you, it's just like, like you're not really talking to each other. It's just like, you know, you spoke to each other already, whatever, you come home. And your wife's doing her thing, and you're doing your thing, and you know, and you want to communicate, but you know, like, there's nothing really to talk about. Sometimes it's called quiet moments, right? So if you have a good shot of lush and hara to give, that, start, that starts off the conversation. It starts like the communications. If somebody has a fight, many times Chaim talks about this. Husband have, and wife have a fight; they're not talking to each other. It should never happen, right? They're not talking to each other. By the way, you said you're not allowed to go to sleep at night not talking to each other. My father-in-law was shown was his rule. No matter what happened, you're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to sleep overnight not talking to your wife because it's just gonna she's gonna get up in the morning like it's gonna be a lot worse. So if they had to sit until whatever it is, you, you, you don't go to sleep that way. It's an advice in, in, in marriage. But so many times you you kick off communications by a good piece of lashon. Let's say you had a fight with your friend. She's not talking to you no more. You're texting her, she don't answer. You're emailing her, she don't answer. You two had a good fight. Now you're like, how am I going to get her to talk to me? <gasps> I'm going to text her what happened to Hani today. She broke her engagement, right? Urgent! Broken engagement! Oh, all of a sudden, the whole fight, the whole everything, it's over. They're talking, they're friends. Meet me at the pizza shop. i got to tell you what happened. It's the boy, and he did that. He went out with this girl. Oh! And all of a sudden, everything's gone. Many times, many times, we use Lush and Hara to break a barrier to communicate, which is a total Avera, which is totally 100% wrong. Yeah, L'shem Shemayim, it's like, you know, are you allowed to talk Lashon Hara to talk to you? No, you're not. Right? But we, we do that many times. We, we, we open up a conversation. So, so listen, if, if a guy comes home and he tells his wife that I wasn't sure today, and Chaim Yanko embarrassed me in front of everybody, right? She's going to go, don't worry. We're not inviting them to the next wedding. We're going to cut them out. We're going to the computer, we're taking them off our invitation list, and I'm going to tell my three friends, oh, don't worry. Because women are very protective of theirs. Don't mess with a woman's kid's husband. You know what I mean? I'm a teacher. You don't give a bad report to the mother. (laughs) Because a mother is like a mother bear, and she's just going to rip your head off. 
You give a bad report to the mother, and it's automatically, yeshiva is no good, and who taught you how to teach, and what do you know about anything, and if it wasn't for my husband, I wouldn't even let my child be here, you're dead. There's no way she's going to blame the kid. At home, she kills the kid. But in school, you're done. So we know, mother comes to talk, he's a tzaddik. Yes, he put a thumbtack on my chair. Yes, he, he pulled a fire alarm. Yes, he, he threw food across the room. But it's not so bad. I, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Father comes to talk to you. Let him have it. Father, let him have it. The kid's a bum. He's no good. I'll teach that kid a lesson. The father's like, a mother, she's protective. You don't mess with a mother's kid. No way. I've, you've seen... You've seen women get up in court. Their son just killed 35 people, mass murderer, on the Long Island Expressway, right? And she's screaming, my boy is an angel. <laughs> no, the 35 people he killed are angels. After he killed them, but he's not an angel, right? And the truth is, what, is she crazy? No, she's not crazy. She's a mother. That's, you know, a mother is very protective. And she's very protective of her husband. And she's very protective of her husband's parnasa. And she's crazy protective of her husband's covered. And anybody who messes with her husband's covered, she's going to rip their heads off. How she going to, she can't rip their heads off. She is going to go the back way and totally destroy that person. So what, what the missioner is telling us, you're going to come home and you're going to tell your wife, you're not going to believe what this guy did to me. You're not going to believe what he did to me in shul. She's like, okay. Next day, we're guys, right? Next day, you come to shul and the guy's like, Chaya, come on. You know what happened yesterday. I didn't really mean it. Let's make a Lachayim. You know, come on. I'm like, yeah, no problem, man, forget it. And we really do forget it, believe it or not. We're just not that emotional. It's like, you know, it bounces, we're also a little thick, but you know, it bounces, it bounces off. We don't, we don't hold grudges. If you, if you meet a guy that's holding a grudge, I don't know. There's a guy, we don't hold grudges. We, we just keep, we just get over it, right? What happens is, but now, you went home and you told your wife, she's not gonna forgive. Now you're gonna come home and you're gonna tell her, oh, I met him in shul! Don't tell me you spoke to him. <laughs> you weakling. You worm. I married a worm. You don't stand up for yourself. You don't stand up for the family. What is wrong with you? You worm. And of course, now there's a machlokes between the two of them, right? And if you ever talk to him again, I'm going to get divorced. So the guy's like, oh my God, look what I did. Open my mouth, right? Now I can never talk to the guy again. I'm finished. It's the Mishnah. I thought they explained the Mishnah. Don't go home. Don't go home and tell your wife things that are going to agitate her because she is not going to forget. She is not going to forget. You are going to forget. So when it comes to Lashon Hara, a man has to be so careful not to tell his wife. Now, you're going to get all insulted. All right, Watson, are you telling me that my husband shouldn't tell me what's going on? No. No, if it's going to agitate you, no. Because you know what? He's going to be his best friend in five minutes. He's going to come home and say, this guy stole my business. Stole everything from me. She's like, don't worry. His wife has a store. I'll make sure nobody goes there anymore. Right? And, and, and he's like, good. And the next day, or two days later, they're buddies. Right? And meanwhile, this woman is gathering her army of women that are not, that are not going into the store anymore. And you, and you can't reverse it. It takes a, Long time to reverse. So that's what the Mishnah says here. The Mishnah says, Don't come home and, and talk to your wife and tell her about things that other people did to you because you know what? She, and it's not even fair to her. 
It's not fair to her because you're laughing the next day, and this woman never, she's agitated, she's aggravated. You know, most women are insomniacs anyway, they can't sleep at night. So she now has another 10 things to think about, why this person did it to my family, and, and how am I going to do it back, and what for? Why, why are you bringing this home? That's what the Mishnah is talking about. Well, that's what happened in this week's Pasha. In this week's Pasha, there are two women. One was the wife of Om Ben Pelas. She's, she had Bina, she was smart. She said to Own, I don't understand something. Why are you joining into a fight where if, if Korah, what, what happened was Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu threw it back at them. They were saying, they were saying that we're all holy, right? We're all equal, we're all holy. So what Moshe Rabbeinu did, he did something very smart. He said, you're all holy and we're all equal. We're going to find out how equal we all are. So we're going to tell all the people that are arguing with me to put Ketores, spices in a pan. And the, the, if you put, if you're not a Kohen God, if you're not a Kohen, and you put spices in the pan, and you put a fire, you're Misa, you're going to die. So he said, if we're all equal, let's all do the same thing, right? And we'll see if we're all equal. If everybody lives, we're all equal. If everybody dies, we're all equal. But if Aaron stays alive, and the rest of you die, I guess we're not all equal. He brings out a muscle. It's like a guy who comes to a, to a person, he wants to buy silk. And the, the guy says, okay, I have three prices. I have three different kinds of silk. Very expensive, medium, and pretty not good silk. And the guy goes, what are you talking about? You're just trying to rip me off. They're all the same. He says, really, they're all the same? No problem. He turns the lights off. He says, why are you turning the lights off? He says, if they're all the same, just, just grab anyone you want. In other words, if they're all the same, what's the difference? So over here, Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're all the same? Then so, so Om Ben Peles's wife said to him, Meshugana, if Korach is true what he's saying, that he's the Kohen Gadol, then he's going to live because he's the Kohen Gadol. You're going to die. You're from Shaven Ruvain. You're not a Kohen. What are you doing? So, this is so true. I mean, we could talk on this partial all night. This is so true. So, Owen was stuck. Sometimes, girls, we take a side and we get stuck. We have to save face. We know we're wrong, but now I can't. My, my whole chevra, you know, we're all against this person. My whole chevra, I can't back out. I'm going to look stupid. So, Owen told his wife, you know, you're right. I have nothing to gain. If Korach's right, I'm going to die. If Korach's wrong, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So she said, what are you doing? He said, but my honor, at this point, I joined the Chevra, I'm in the posse, I'm with the group, I'm in the gang, I can't step out. She said, okay, that's a guy. We, 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 we won't step out. We know we're going to lose, we don't care. We can't step out. So she knew that. So she gave him to drink, and he got drunk. And he fell asleep. And she knew that the Tzadik Kairach was going to come to get Om Ben Pelas to be part of his Chevra. So she sat at the door. This is a whole different shear. She, she sat at the door and she uncovered her head. She was married, so she had a shetel or whatever she was wearing. She was Sephardi, so she didn't have a shetel. She had a hat, right? Um, or a kerchief. And she uncovered it. So the Tzadik Kairach, who, by the way, on his way to fight Moshe Rabbeinu, Right? Sees this woman sitting at the at the door of the tent without her hair uncovered. Oyvei, oyvei, ashiksa. Listen, listen to how twisted you can become in the name of God. This is what he said. You have to read the medrash. This is what he said. Karach said, "We can't take own with us against Moshe Rabbeinu because if he's married to such a woman, right, then he's not a big enough tzaddik to stand with us against Moshe Rabbeinu." And we're all going to die because we're going to have a guy whose wife doesn't cover her hair. 
Meshugana Fadreta Maniac. What is wrong with you? You're going up against Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu, and you're worried that you're going to lose because this guy's wife doesn't have a hair cover. That's how twisted, in the name of God, we can become. That's how twisted we can become. We could talk Lashon Hara, L'Shem Shemayim. We could destroy another girl or another human being in the name of Hashem. I'm very from, I'm from than anyone else. But this person I have to take down in the name of Hashem. The road to Gehenna, I say a million times, is paved with good intentions. Now there's another woman in the story. And the woman, the other woman in the story, her name is Mrs. Korach. Now, Mrs. Korach, I want to tell you, and then I'll, I'll close it because I'm going to show you an unbelievable connection from the beginning of the world to what happened here. And there's a big connection between the beginning of the world and here. So very fast, Mrs. Korach said the following. What happened was, last week's parasha, what they did to the Levium was they shaved all the hair from the top of their head to the bottom of their toes. And then they waved them. They did snufa. They waved them. And that's how they became, you know, how they became Levium to do their work in the base, in the, in the Mishkan. So she was very embarrassed that her husband looked like a monkey. He was shaven. He looked like a monkey. I, all the other guys looked like monkey. Didn't make a difference. She was very upset. So, she said, when he came home with Gulach Legamri, he was totally shaven, right? Hashafa Vazake Vagwaisenayim, his, his beard and his, his, the sideburns and his eyebrows was all shaven. Mi Who did this to you? She asked her husband. Ana Kachasali Moshe. He said, this is what Moshe did to me. He didn't only do it to me. He did it to all the Levium. He shook us like Lulavim. He did Tanupa like Lulavim. He said, But to his brother Aaron, he put him on him, he put eight beautiful begadim. So when they heard this, they were very, very upset. Okay. I want to skip, I want to go to what she says. So she says, the following, listen to this story. They say a story like this. We heard that there was a widow, and she lived in my neighborhood. This was a story going around. And she was very poor. And this widow had two daughters. And the only money she had was she had one field, and from that field, she was able to have parnasa to make a living to keep her alive with her two daughters. So, the Almana went out, this poor woman, this widow, she went out to, to Kharash, to, to plow the field. Moshe shows up at the field, and, she, and he says to the lady, uh-uh, you're not allowed to plow a field with a shor and a chamor, with a donkey and, a, and an axe together. Because Hashem said, they're not allowed to... They're not allowed to plow together. By the way, it's an interesting why. Why they're not allowed to plow together? Because one chews its cud, the shor, and the chamor does not chew its cud. So the chamor is going to see the shor and he's going to think he's eating all the time and he's going to feel bad. So you're not allowed to put these two animals together because one is chewing, one is not. Even, even, even the feelings of an animal, God is very careful about. Okay. So now she had to, she couldn't, she couldn't plow. Uvel is raya. Now she came to see it. Amalai Moshe, Moshe said, ah, like Tizri Sadecha climb. You can't. You can't um, plant two different kinds of items together. That's kalayim. Okay, she said, okay, okay. Now she came to harvest. Moshe said, uh-uh, you're harvesting, you have to leave leket, whatever falls, shikha, whatever you leave back, pay of the corners of the field. 
Man, she mama she, unbelievable. Then she goes, whatever she has, Nebuch, right? She takes and she puts it in the in the in the silo. And he says, Ah, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu shows up. You gotta give Truma. You gotta give Maisa Rishon. You gotta give Maisa Shani. Finally, this woman cannot deal with it anymore. She says, You know what, Moshe? I cannot keep this field. I can't take care of Kalayim. I can't worry about the Chamor and the Shor. I can't do all the Meister and everything. I don't want to have my field anymore. So she sells the field. And Moshe Rabbeinu buys the field and she buys with it two sheep. She's going to use the wool of the sheep to make clothing and that's how she's going to make a living. Okay, she has the sheep. She's about to um, cut off the, the wool. Nope. All of a sudden... The halacha is that whatever is born, the first one goes to the Kohen Gadol. So the first baby is born, and right away, much is there, ah, you gotta give the firstborn to my, my brother, to Aaron. That's what Hashem says, kol b'chor, right? So she's mommy, she can't, she can't, she can't deal with it. Okay. She said, you know what, forget it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna shed, I'm gonna shear the, the wool. So, Aaron shows up, and he says, no, there's a mitzvah, you have to give racious haggays. The first thing that you shear, you have to give to the Kohen. That's what it says in the Pussy. So the almana, the widow, finally says, "You know what? I I I I I can't deal with this. I can't I can't deal with all these halachas. So I'm going to shech them. Okay? She shechs them. She shechs them. Aaron shows up, and Aaron says, "Ah, oh, you shechted. it. The Kohen gets the legs, the innards, and the other parts. So the almana says, "I see that by even slaughtering my animals, I can't get rid of you, right? So she says, "Okay, all of it." I'm making into a cherim. Cherim means nobody can have, that's it. I, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I'm putting all of it in cherim. Who gets it, of course, when you put something in cherim? The coin. So now Aaron gets both animals. Because that's what it says. Call cherim be Israel, you go to the coin. So, they, they continue, and listen to what they say. And they said after that, she had no sheep, she had no field, she died, and her two daughters died. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu does with his brother. You hear the story? And this was the rumor that went around Klai Yisrael that Moshe and Aaron killed a widow and her two daughters. How does something like this happen? So there's a fantastic question on this. What's the question on this story? What's the question on this story? True. How could it be true? There were no fields in the midbar. Right, they were they were in the midbar. There were no fields. And there's no halacha of all the miser and truma and everything that they had outside of Israel. Even if they had a field outside of Israel. But there was no field. They were traveling. Nobody had any fields. What are you talking about? You started the whole story that she had a field and she was getting... There was no fields. And there was no halachas of these halachas in the Torah. So, so, so how did anyone believe this? How did anyone believe this? I will tell you how anyone believed this. So we're going to go back because the beginning of this whole problem of Korach happened a very long time ago. And I'm, I'm going to finish in two minutes. But you just have to see this connection because it's, it's absolutely eye-opening. Let's go back to the Eitz Hadas. He was very, very smart. What was he so smart? If you think Korach was a tzaddik, Chava was created by Hashem's hands. 
She wasn't conceived. She was created by God's hands. Every part of her. It's like we can't even understand such a thing. Right? Now. How is a snake, no matter how smart he is, going to get something that's created by God's hands to do the one Aveira? She had one mitzvah. Don't eat from the tree. How is this snake going to get her to fall to this level? She, she's Chava. Im Kochai. She's Chava. Right? He, the snake couldn't get you to do it. If Hashem told you you have one mitzvah, no, the snake's going to show up and tell you do something, you're going to get out of here, snake. Right? So, so how do you get Chava to do it? So this is how we got Chava. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. We don't like to have anything or anyone above us. Moshe Rabbeinu was a leader. We don't want a leader. We say we want a leader. We say we want a king, but we don't want a leader. He knew that if he could get into the jealousy of Chava, that he could get Chava to be jealous of Hashem. Now, this might sound like very silly, right? To be jealous of Hashem. If he could get that, if he could get her to be jealous of Hashem, because the weakness of a person is, and there's a Rashi that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Chava because if Adam would have been alone, he would have thought that he's a God. Because we as people think we're God. We think we can do everything. We think we know everything. So he, he ended up giving the guys a wife to make sure, like they always say a famous saying, behind every great man is a woman who says, get over yourself. Right? So therefore Hashem created a woman to make sure that Adam doesn't think he's God. It's a Rashi, right? So, so we have this thing that we don't like to be told by anyone. We don't like anything above us. We like to look this way and this way. Don't look, we don't like to look up. So, by the way, the human being is the only thing that looks up. I saw something in Kabbalah, very interesting, that animals will never look up to Shemayim. It's an interesting thing. You'll never see a dog staring at the sky. You'll never see a giraffe staring at the sky. They're looking straight or they're looking down. They don't look up. You'll never see an animal like, nice, you know, like looking up. I just saw this because, because an animal is Oretz. We are connected to Shemayim because we have a neshama. They don't. So they don't look up. Now you're going to go around tomorrow and look, see if a cat, right? See if you see a cat sitting on the corner, you know. They don't, they don't look up at Shemayim. They'll look up at you. In other words, if you're talking to them, they'll look up at you. But you're not going to see an animal staring at the sky. I just saw this. It, it says it in the Zayar. You're not going to see an animal staring at the sky. It's a Zayar. It can't, there's no discussion. It's not up for discussion. He's not. He's putting his mouth up and going, oh, but he's not, he's not looking at the sky. They're not looking at the sky. They will not look at the sky. They're not, they don't have a connection. They don't have a connection to the sky. So, shh, it's a Zaya. It's not, it's not something that I can even like say, maybe yes, maybe no. We have to check it out. It says very refreshed. They don't look up at the sun. They don't look up at the moon. They don't look up at the sky. They may lift their muzzle up there and they may make a noise, whatever it is, but, you know, I never, you know, I, maybe they look up at, they think people, they think they look up at the moon, but I think wolves make the same noise when there is no moon. So I don't think that they're looking up at the moon. If there's no moon, they make the same noise. So the Zaire says they don't look up. So they don't look up. But anyway, a, a, a person, we have a problem with... So what did he do? So what did the Nachash do? He was very smart. He said the following. He said, Ki Elokim, Ki Because Hashem knows that the day that you eat from this tree, the Nitzkechu Eneichem, your eyes will open up, the Hiyisem Kelokim, your day at 
God has something you don't have. God knows the difference between good and bad. I can give you a magic fruit that when you eat from this fruit, God will not have something you don't have. You will be equal to Hashem. That sounds crazy, right? Wrong. He played on the weakness of the human being. She was jealous. And therefore, he played on not eat from the tree. You're going, he should have just said, Kiyadea, Elokim, Imenu, Hashem knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes are going to open up. You're there, turn around. You're going to know the difference between good and good. Why do you have to throw in the Hiyisim Kelokim? That might have scared her off. You're going to be like God. Oh no, I can't be like God. Just the opposite. He was a Pikeach. He knew that if he could bring to the table that you won't have to be jealous anymore. He has something you don't have, and I could give you that, what he, what he has that you don't have, she fell right into it. And what happens right afterwards? And this is the basis of Lashon Hara, the basis of Kairach, the basis of the destruction of Klai Yisrael, the basis of everything, the basis of bad communication, bad relationship, low self-esteem, uh, everything that goes wrong in the world, it's all based in jealousy. We are a hated nation because... The nations, and it says it in the Gemara, are jealous that we got the Torah. Bottom line, they can tell you all the stories why they hate us. The bottom line, Ace of Sinai Yisrael, they hate us because they're jealous. What are they jealous of? Meshugam, what are you jealous of? Right? We went through a Holocaust. We went through a Spanish Inquisition. We went through Crusades. What are you jealous of? When you're jealous of someone, girls, it doesn't have to have any reason. And therefore... Listen to what happened, and it's my favorite, my favorite Rashi, I say it all the time, that she went ahead, now she ate from the tree, she knew Toiv and Ra, and her husband was sitting there, and he did not Toiv and Ra. So she was on a much higher level than him. She was Kelo Kim, and he was sitting there, he only knew Toiv. He's walking around all day. Life's good. <laughs> you cook great. You look wonderful. Love. Peace. <laughs> Everything's good. The world is good. He didn't know any bad. Right, he's walking around like that, and she's like, I know Toivin Ra. I'm like Elohim. The last thing she should have done was to give him to eat from the tree. She was now above him. So if her whole being that she ate from the tree was because she was jealous, and she wanted to be on top of the ladder, so now you got, you're on top of the ladder. So why would you give him, if you're jealous, right? Why would you give him to eat from the tree? Now you're above him. You got what you wanted. You are the boss. The man will follow you. That was Amida Kenegah Amida. Now you control the household. He's walking around like he's high. <laughs> Everything's great. And she knows the truth because she knows Tavirna. What does she do? She runs top speed. So it says that it was, it was grapes. She went ahead. She didn't even want him to know what she was doing. So there's a measure that she made the grapes into wine and she gave him the wine and he didn't, he didn't even know what he was doing wrong. So, so she, she even came up with an idea of how to get it to him. He must drink from, he must eat from these people. What's wrong with you? The whole thing is you want to be the number one. Now you're number one. What are you doing? So Rashi says, um, Rashi says, why did she give him to eat from the, from the, so it's a very interesting Rashi. And ladies do not like this Rashi. Nothing personal. Matita Gamli Isha, she gave it to her husband, says Rashi, Shaloi Tamas He She was jealous. 
even though now she ate from the tree. And she's much way above him. But what's going to happen? Now Adam has something she don't have. She has something Adam doesn't have. She has Tevara. But now he has something she doesn't have. He has to live forever. She's going to die because she ate from the tree. He didn't eat from the tree. So he's going to live forever. So she, she who ate from the tree and the first Avera was based in jealousy. So now this woman became a piece of jealousy. And therefore, even though it didn't make any sense to give him to eat from the tree, because you got what you want. You're the boss. You're the one, right? But now she's jealous. I'm jealous. So if you're jealous, right? She said, oh my goodness, I'm going to die and he's going to live. So what's so bad about that? So you die and let him live. Says, says Rashi, the Yichyahu, he's going to live. The Yisach Eres, he's going to marry someone else. No way am I going to let him marry someone else. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to give him to each one of the Eitz This guy's got to die with me. Not funny. So, the Kashi is, the Yisach Eres, there is no Acheres. There was no other woman in the world. Chava, what are you worried about? You're worried about you're going to die, you're going to marry someone else. There is no one else. He's going to, great, I'm going to die. He's going to live alone for the rest of his life. Suffer. No, she didn't think that way. She was so jealous. The Avera was so based in jealousy that it doesn't have to make any logic. When a person's jealous, girls, if you look back, when you're jealous and you take a person down and you talk Lashon Hara and you're involved in Machlekes, if you really sit down and you look at yourself in the mirror and you look up and you look what it's all about, you'll say, oh my goodness, it doesn't even make any sense what I'm doing. It made no sense what she was doing. No sense at all. What are you doing? There is no other woman. So the Mepharshim say, it doesn't have to be another woman. When you're jealous, it doesn't have to make any sense. So here there's this crazy story that Moshe and Aaron killed an Almana and her two children with a field with lambs, with all kinds of mices, when there is no field and there is no lambs and there is no story and there is no mice, there is no truma, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the basis of this whole story was jealousy. And when jealousy is the basis, it doesn't have to make any sense. It has nothing to do with sense. Where did this Avera come from? This Avera came from the first Avera that God has something I don't have. You have something I don't have. Do you know how many people steal? Do you know how many people do Averas just to be the Joneses? Just because someone else has something and I have to have it? Do you know how many people make mistakes in their life because someone has something and they don't have, and they don't have it? Do you know how many girls get married because their friend got married and they're single? And then they find out that I just got married because she got married, but I don't like this guy. What are you getting married because she got married? That's a reason to marry somebody? Because someone else got married? Reason to get married is because you want to get married. So all your friends are married, so that means, okay, the next guy that walks in, I'm going to marry, and he's, he's totally a bozo? What are you doing? Your life cannot be based on your jealousy of what's going on in somebody else's life. And you tell, I told the girl, what are you thinking? Hi, Rabbi, I'm engaged. Who is he? So-and-so. I want to meet him. I meet him. I'm like, what? What? This is what you waited for? Like, he's a great guy, but... How do I push? Like, have nothing to do with each other. Like, what's going on over here? And I'm like, what? And she's like, what mean what? I don't have any friends left. They're all married. I'm like, oh, good idea. What are you doing? 
What are you doing? Your decision has to be based not on jealousy that something's happening to someone else. Oh, she got a job, so I have to get a better job. She got this on her test, so I got to cheat. Chas shall know it in this room. But the pressure that we put on kids, well, your sister got a 90. Okay, I'll get a 90 if the kid next to me gets a 90. <laughs> so, so what did you do? What did you teach them? This is the basis of almost every single Aveira in the Torah. It doesn't have to make any sense, and that's jealousy. And that's the sheer. And that's the DNA that came from Chava. And therefore, and therefore, her punishment, her punishment with Mida Kenege Mida, her punishment was you're going to have to serve your husband for the rest of your life. That's the way it's written. That's the way it's supposed to be. I don't mean serve like a servant, but the man in the world is going to be the leader and the woman is going to be the follower. Women's lib, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to say, the Torah, that's the curse that the woman gets. That's a curse. It's a curse to follow a man. It's a curse. And it's a curse for a man to go to work. Rabbi Pincus used to always scream outside of shul. Guys would leave early. You know, like, they would like, after Shimon Esri, they would leave. They wouldn't wait till Elena. You know, we start with a million, a hundred guys. And then by Ashrei Volatil, there's 50 guys. And then by the Yom, there's like 30 guys. By Enkel Okeno, there's 20 guys. And by the time we finish Elena, we're pulling one guy back because we don't have a minion. It's like, oh, we have nine, right? So Rav Shimshin Pinkus used to stand by the door when people used to leave early and he would scream, where are you running? You're running to a curse? Going to work is a curse. Arur, Adam. The man is cursed. You have to go to work. He says, right now you're in a bracha. You're in shul. You're davening. You're rushing to a curse. That's where he used to stand. We're in a rush to get to the curse. Daven, when you're crazy, the bracha is to daven. So the woman's punishment was, you ate from the Eitzadas because you wanted to be number one. So your tikkun is that you have to be number two. And therefore, it's brought down in Svarim. I'm not insulting anyone here. It's us guys, we got our stuff. You girls have your stuff. What it's brought down in Svarim, that jealousy, the midah of jealousy and the midah of Lashon Hara is much more by women because it was their first Avera. And therefore, that's why in all the schools they talk about Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara by women. I'm not telling you that men don't speak Lashon Hara. We speak Lashon Hara. But it's not as big as Taiva. We have other Taivas. Believe me, we got, we got more than you got. But a woman has to be misaking what Chava did. And the tikkun of what Chava did is to break this jealousy. To break this jealousy that I need to be number one. And I need to be right. And I need to be the one that says what I have to say. That's what a woman has to work on. And I'm telling you that we don't either. We have to work on it for men as much as women. We all have to work on this. That I have to be satisfied with what I'm doing. It's not important what the other person does. Rav Shem Pink is brilliant word. The lowest object in the world is a mirror. Because when you look in a mirror, you don't see the mirror. You see yourself. A mirror has no life of its own. Nobody buys a mirror. Let me explain to you something. If, if the mirror didn't mirror, right, you wouldn't buy it. You're not going to buy a piece of glass, right, a big square piece of glass, and put it in your room on the wall. Nobody has a piece of glass on, on the wall. 
You're not going to put in your little pocketbook, right, when you do your makeup and take out, everyone look at you like there's something wrong with you, and take out a clear piece of glass. Oh, okay, I'm putting on my lipstick. What are you doing? Sugar, what are you doing? What are you, what are you looking at a piece of glass, right? So, so the, 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 the mirror, the godless of the mirror is that it reflects. So the mirror itself has no life. Its whole life is the reflection of the thing that it's reflecting. So he says the mirror is the lowest object in the world. It has no self. So a, a person who lives their whole life as a mirror has no self. And the greatness of a human being is that we, can, that we are created with Selim The greatness of a human being is that we have self. We're not a mirror. I don't need to be the reflection of somebody else. The reflection of somebody else is nothing. If that's how you live your whole life, you have no self. You're just everybody else. And that's what we need to learn from this week's parasha. Korach fell. And these 250 fell. Because they weren't happy with who they were. Korach was a big man. The richest Jew and the most powerful Jew. He was a big man. And these, these 250 were big people. But they were so busy. But him, but Moshe, but he's bigger than me. That they were swallowed up into the ground, it says, with their families. And I'll tell you something very scary. Children, babies, are not judged. Hashem saves little babies, even if for the sins of their parents. The Avas Chaim and the Muslims for him say, it's the only time in the Torah that you'll see that babies got punished. You're not going to see it anywhere else in the Torah. The earth opened up, says the Pasuk, and it swallowed the men, the women, and the taf, and the little newborn, one-month, two-month-year-old babies. And Rafashim say, Hashem, you opened up the earth and you swallowed Jewish babies? They didn't do anything wrong. They definitely didn't speak Lashon Hara. They were little, one-month-old, two-month-old. And Avas Chaim says that when the parents talk Lashon Hara and cause Machlekes, there's no Rachmim on the babies. It's a very, no pity on the children. We need to be very careful in our houses that there's no Lush and Horror that comes into our houses and there's no Machlokas that comes into our houses. If you don't care about yourself, care about your children. Everyone should have Atzlacha. We should hear the Shaifra of Mashiach. Be an Eretz Yisrael. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.